the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about vaccines and then play a new game called Am I a Jerk or Am I Justified? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today on a wet but warm Thursday afternoon. Uh, really glad to have you with us. Aubrey, I am most glad that you came back for I a second show. Like after to that come first back. Show, I felt like we had a good first show. And so uh-huh. I thought, well, okay, I'll, tr- I'll try it again and see how it goes. See, there is an old adage to just kind of quit while you're ahead. <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> so. true. Like, the bar is high. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> that was it. I don't know if you... I don't know if you were an old Seinfeld fan, but there's the one where George just tells the joke and everybody laughs and he goes, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) I've done my job. I don't have to show up anymore. I am out. So, uh, yeah, it feels official because they put our pictures up on Facebook and Instagram. Like It says my name now, The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Aubrey Sampson. Yes. So it is all like, like it's all official yep. now. And so here, here we, we go. go. If you, if you missed yesterday's show, it was our first one together. Aubrey is our new co-host for good now, which I'm really excited I am about to be here. And we'll see if we do a Friday show because I do know that after the show tonight, you and uh, <laughs> your husband and me and my wife are going out to dinner. So that could either be really good for the show or this could be. That's true. We're going to celebrate. <laughs> so let's hope our, you know, our camaraderie deepens because of it. But that's true. If, if we stay out too late or if somehow we get a big fight or something, this may be our last, this may be our last show. We'll see. <laughs> this is it. So enjoy it while you can. So. We introduced ourselves yesterday, talked about how we are both pastors. And so I I wanted to jump in today by talking about something that for some people is really obvious and for other people is really controversial. And that is uh, the concept that that is the vaccine. The vaccine. So so are people going to get vaccinated? Because for some people, right, this is the doorway to normalcy for the for for all of us. Like, do you do your part? Get vaccinated. This is the doorway. I even did a story uh, when I did the show alone a couple of days ago about Franklin Graham saying everybody needs to go get vaccinated. Uh, but then for others, uh, let me I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but some people have actually said the vaccine is the market. Uh, yes, I've been hearing is. that rumor recently. Exactly. It is. It is something to be completely avoided. And not everybody's that far. Some people are just like, listen, it hasn't been tested enough. Uh, and what's come out lately uh, is that it's white evangelicals that are kind of number one uh, on the list of people not getting vaccinated. And there's some discussion about why that is going on. So uh, let's just dive into the deep end. Have you been vaccinated and what are you telling people? about? Oh, man, you're just going to throw me under the bus, aren't you, Brian? Right? There so it is. There I it am is. proud to say that I have been vaccinated. I have done uh, dose one and dose two of the Pfizer. I am feeling good. Um, I have an autoimmune disease, so I was able to get in kind of that early, uh, you know, cr- crew of people who were vaccinated. The side effects were so minimal 
And I walked out of there feeling like a free woman. We are telling everyone, everyone we know to get the vaccine so that we can move on in life, so that we can care for one another. And here's my real perspective, Brian. Kevin and I lived in Zambia, Africa for a year. And while we were there, that actually began to inform my decision about vaccines overall, because we were with a population of people, very vulnerable people dying of diseases that we had access to the vaccines in America. And I thought to myself, if we have access and we don't take advantage of it with as much travel as there is nowadays and as much uh, cross-cultural relationships there are, We are doing damage globally to people who don't have the same access we have. It is a privilege to get the vaccine. It is good for your neighbor locally and globally. It is not the mark of the beast. That is not how God works. (laughs) God would not use something that actually gives life and protects people as the mark of the beast. Okay, this is bad theology. What are you telling people about the vaccine and have you gotten it? Oh, I, I'm now rewriting this week's sermon, Mark of the Beast. That no, I, I got my first shot. And so, uh, I'm, I'm in between right now. So I got my first shot waiting on my second shot. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm someone in the past in my life with our kids and other things that my wife and I have been somewhat skeptical and really done our homework on stuff. And so I don't feel like I'm one of these people who's just like, go for whatever, yeah, right, you know, whatever right. they tell you do. Uh, but interestingly, I, I have had a lot of very interesting conversations with people at my church or uh, who've listened to the show who are like, listen, I just don't think it's safe. I don't want right. to do it. And I've landed on the, hey, if this is what's going to get us back to some normalcy, I'm not I'm not for vaccine passports sure, and sure. stuff like that. But if if this is going to get us to some normalcy uh, and also uh, if even though it's been gone fast, most most people that I trust are going, but it's safe. Uh, I, I feel comfortable doing it. And and I do think there's something to be said about what's it look like for us as Christians to love our neighbor uh, and, uh, and and to just help kind of stop the spread of this pandemic. And uh, and so, yeah, I've uh, even though if I've not been pro all vaccines in the past, I've been very pro this vaccine. I've I've let people know that. And it's made some people unhappy. Yeah. Um, I think it's and interesting to find out what, uh, why certain white evangelicals are anti this vaccine. And it seems like what I've heard from folks is, um, hey, I trust God. If God's going to take me, God's going to take me. I don't need to get the vaccine. And that's when I kind of want to push back. That's true. I mean, there is major truth in that. But what about your neighbor who maybe isn't a Christian, maybe doesn't know God or is vulnerable, who actually could die? And again, I mean, Brian, you know this because I was on the show a couple weeks ago, right after we lost a very young man in our church to COVID. Um, Had he had access to the vaccine, had his neighbors, his wife, people around him had access to the vaccine, he would be alive right now. And that Mm. matters. Yeah, absolutely. That story was so tragic when you shared it a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're actually going to have somebody on the show, I believe, later today or tomorrow. We're working on that of uh, to, who's going to talk about this and going to push us. You know, when you ask why is it white evangelicals, I suspect there's also a classification of, you know, right now when you hear about white evangelicals, it's primarily uh, also Republican and conservative. Right. Like those kind of go together in our right. culture right now. And who are the people who are most pushing back on the vaccine? They tend to be. uh, I've read many articles about this. uh, People who supported President Trump, who tend to be more conservative in their politics. So I do think the two go hand to hand. But at Christianity Today, they wrote an article that basically said uh, there's a lot of very prominent pastors who are pushing people for the vaccine. Uh, And and so 
Uh, I do find that encouraging. I'll close with this. What have you and your husband, you guys lead yep. a church, Renewal Church in West Chicago. Uh, is this something you're talking about from your pulpit or social media or something? Like, do you feel that strongly or is it just, you know what, I, I'll talk to people kind of behind So we're not talking about it from the pulpit, um, but we are talking about it on our social media. So I have, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Facebook little filter that says, I got vaccinated. And Kevin actually posted, there was an article from the New York Times a couple days ago saying white evangelical leaders are part of that resistance is an obstacle to the vaccination. Hmm. He posted that article and said, listen, I'm a white evangelical leader. Go get your vaccine. And so, you know, I think we haven't preached it from the pulpit because it's really not a theological issue. It's not a salvation issue. It's not a discipleship issue. Although even as I'm saying that, I'm questioning, (laughs) is it? Um, But certainly on social media and certainly behind the scenes with grace and love for our friends and our neighbors and the folks in our church who just don't feel comfortable doing the vaccine. Have you, what about you? Have you talked about publicly? I haven't, although I I tend to not put stuff on social media. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so it hasn't been for that reason. But I've shared it with more than enough people who have asked me. Uh, and, and I do think I just want to caution people out there when it comes to the vaccine. If you're not going to get it, make sure you're not getting it for the right reason. Mm. Like you've actually done your homework. That's good. Um, and, and I know there's people out there right now go, well, do your homework if you're going to get it. I yeah. agree. Everybody should do, do your homework. homework on this. Go read, uh, go do your homework, kind of be careful where you're reading. And it's a, this is an important, important conversation. I also enjoy, Aubrey, that it took you to day two to fall into the uh, talk radio trap of going, I'm halfway through saying something and I'm not sure I, I agree actually with don't know if I agree with myself. This is why it's good it's a daily show, because tomorrow I can be like, hey, remember that thing from yesterday? Totally changed my mind on it. I do that all the time where it's in my mind going, I do not agree with what I'm saying right now. It's coming out, but I can't stop myself. Uh, Well, we're off and running. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Morgan Lee, uh, Christianity Today's global media manager and the co-host of a podcast called Quick to Listen. That's next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined for the next two segments by Morgan Lee. Morgan is Christianity Today's global media manager and the co-host of the podcast, Quick to Listen. Morgan, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. It's so good to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. It's absolutely our pleasure. Hey, one thing we like to do is to allow our guests to introduce themselves to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit. Why don't you introduce yourself? No problem. So I'm just going to start by getting out in front of all your listeners. Probably the thing they will hate the most about me, which is that I recently moved from Chicagoland to Hawaii. You win. Yeah, I mean, you you win at everything. Like you win at life now, Morgan. So congratulations to you. So, yes, I, I will be honest with you and say that after work, I did go surfing uh, for two and a half hours <laughs> and then the sun set. No, <laughs> you're making me cry a little bit, Morgan. <laughs> so that's just important to note, just so you know, everyone can really picture me because as I didn't just tell you guys a couple minutes ago, you know, it's not like I am actually on my balcony staring at the ocean. I'm actually in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> Get the right image in your head. So that is one thing that is true about me, but I guess a little bit more context is that I host Christianity Today's 
news podcast. It is called Quick to Listen, and it comes out every Wednesday. And I joke with people that it's where we talk about whatever Christians are fighting. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's really good. But essentially, you know, there's so much just like pressure on people, right, to have I don't know, I would say like thoughtful takes, but a take, Mm -hmm. right, on Mm -hmm. any given subject that is going on right now. And sometimes we just don't know how to think about what those issues are from a Christian perspective or from a perspective of someone who has thought about it for years of their life. And so part of what we try to do in the podcast is bring in an expert or a practitioner to share their wisdom with everyone. That's great. That is so fantastic. I know one of the things you recently talked about on the Quick to Listen podcast, Morgan, was how churches can welcome both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And Brian and I are both pastors. We've actually been kind of discussing how we talk about the vaccine with our own people. And so I would love to hear from you. How can churches get better at welcoming both vaxxed and unvaxxed and also just having these dialogues in a way that honors the other? That is definitely an intense question for a lot of mm-hmm. folks to, you know, mm-hmm. to wrestle with, to answer, and to go through. When we had this conversation this week, we invited a pastor named Jay Kim, who is a pastor in California, to come and talk with us about this. And one of the things that he stressed, and I thought was just a really sobering reminder, was when we think about church, right? Church, in many ways, as tempted as we are to kind of think of it as just any group of people, you know, whether it's like, you know, you go to church, you go to work, you're, you're going to just like be in a space where other people are going to be at. According to the New Testament, we're not just going to hang mm. out with people, right? Mm. We're going to be with people that we are supposed to consider yeah. our family, yeah. right? And so that obviously adds an entire other dimension. It changes how we respond when, you know, we're frustrated with our church leadership. There's a different level of like intimacy or entitlement that sometimes comes up as a result of that. There's also a sense of commitment as well that we are asked to take on um, to be with each other. And so it can be very challenging um, when we feel so passionately about something like public health and our personal health and who we're looking after. Um, And at the same time, trying to stay in community with people who may not share those same convictions as us. I will say after I recorded this podcast, I listened to another podcast that was talking about the idea of vaccine passports. Now, I will just say vaccine passports, there's not necessarily like a set definition of what a vaccine passport is right now. And in in many ways, it's just language that we're using to just say like, oh, here you would be able to like verify what's going on. And what I thought was really interesting is that they had someone there from Harvard who's a microbiologist just talking about the ways that stressing that type of thing, especially since we know that vaccine access to vaccines, while it is widespread in many ways, is still not completely equitable, right? right? Mm Mm-hmm can in many ways end up, you know, further segregating Mm. or discriminating against folks, um, especially people who just haven't had access to it in the same way. And so I I thought that was a good point that there are just instances where, you know, maybe want to do things that are going to keep everyone safe as much as possible. But how are we looking for other ways to ensure that be it, you know, are there negative COVID tests that people Mm. might need to take? You know, can you show that you have antibodies? You know, while we're trying to create the space for people to be as safe as possible, how do we not, you know, further perpetuate divides and inequalities that might already be affecting the church? That's so good. That's good. And so, Morgan, as you co-host the Quick to Listen, you jokingly said we talk about things that Christians are arguing about. But that has been a struggle (laughs) for me doing a doing a daily talk show that's 
focused on the church and Christianity, like sometimes it can yeah. become a lot politics yep. or vaccines or whatever else. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, A, is that a struggle for you? And what do you do with that as you see these fights going on around us and you kind of want what's best for the church? How do you process that? How do you not become cynical about it? That's a great question. And I really admire what you're trying to do in this position, Brian, where you are both a pastor and on the radio at the same time. <laughs> I would say that that is makes makes that job much more difficult than for someone like me who is able to go to church just kind of like as a congregant, yeah. right? right? And doesn't have to kind of balance the tensions in the same way. So some things just don't necessarily feel as intimate or as personal to me because I don't have to go and make policy right, decisions right, right. <laughs> yeah. in the same way. So I truly admire what you guys are, are doing in that space, right? There's a, there's a sense of like, you're not just having these discussions. You're then having to take what you learn from these discussions and then make real decisions that are going to affect people's lives. Yeah. I will say for myself, though, I mean, it is important, again, in the way that you are not able to do that, that I can go to church and not feel like I'm doing my job at the same time mm-hmm. because it can get mm-hmm. contentious and heated around these types of issues. And unfortunately, Christians don't have the best represent, you know, best reputation for engaging these things in good faith, kind and gracious manners. Yeah. I, I will say Christianity Today really stresses that with the content that we put out there. And so at the very least, I'm not, you know, angry at my colleagues for being uncivil or uncharitable to people. All my coworkers are people who are trying to look for the best in people and to present these strong opinions that we have in ways that I think are beautiful and honoring to other people. And so that really helps me, so I guess, like build up my thick skin to engage in this type of stuff. If, if there's a listener out there right now, Morgan, who is, you know, maybe someone who has found themselves getting in disagreements online or um, just is kind of fueled by their frustration or their anger, where whatever side they're on these arguments. Um, do you have any just tips or wisdom for them how to interact online or in person in a way that honors God in the middle of these hard conversations? I don't think anyone should ever feel like they need to interact in those conversations. And I I think we are also blessed with a variety of ways to interact. One of them I will point out is called a group chat, (laughs) (laughs) for instance. And I think group chats can actually be really, really helpful to let off steam. You know, sometimes we do feel like we really do want to say something and we just need to get something off of our chest. And it's really helpful to think through the medium under which we're going Mm. to get that off of our chest. And I, I think it's entirely reasonable to sometimes just say I need to vent and then you do that to people in a way that is not going to be publicly engaging with that. I personally think of myself as someone who has a certain amount of what I would call outrage energy (laughs) every month. And yeah. <laughs> and then like I'm like okay so I have this much outrage energy I'm going to really try to be judicious with what I want mm. to get angry about because I cannot get angry about everything right, right? Yeah. and I actually think anger is like an important skill and helpful and you know there's things that are just rise to this level of like egregiousness that you want to do something right. about but recognizing that that at some point you will just feel spent and you'll just feel burnt out and unable to react to some of the things that may be even more severe injustices if you spend it all at one time. The other thing that I would really challenge people with is when they are thinking of how to allocate that outrage energy, are you doing it on the things that you have the most impact wow. to change on? Because sometimes we're just wasting, in my opinion, our energy on the things that we have the least amount of change to do. And that way there's like no accountability for right, us either, right? right? Mm. Which is also really dangerous. Oh. Like, oh, it allows me to get really upset, but also allows me off the hook, yes. right? To not yeah. actually be responsible to have a hard conversation 
to change my own lifestyle, you know, to look right. sacrificially right. in some way. Great. We're thrilled to be joined by Morgan Lee, Christianity Today's global media manager, co-host of the podcast Quick to Listen. Morgan, as the global media manager, we were kind of talking offline here about just the amazing stories and kind of the, the, the really news stories across the globe. A lot of us can get very Chicago centric or America centric. Mm-hmm. And so we'd love to fly around the globe a little bit with you here uh, and have you tell some of these stories of what's going on. So off air, you were telling us about something going on in Malaysia that you guys wrote about. That's very interesting. Why don't you catch our listeners up on that? So the situation in Malaysia is one that I have been following for a number of years, and it has to do with how Malaysian Christians refer to God. So the word that they have been using to refer to God is Allah, which many of your listeners will recognize as what they know that many Muslims Mm -hmm. refer to God as. But this is something that in Malaysia is very common for Christians. Malaysia is a majority Muslim country, and so a couple of years ago, um, they had passed this ruling that said only Muslims could refer to God as Allah, which, as you can imagine, stirred a lot of frustration within the Christian community, so much so that they ended up actually taking this ruling to oh, court. Wow. And so earlier this year, actually pretty recently, um, the court ruled, their high court ruled that essentially this prohibition was illegal and also hmm. irrational. And so... That's obviously caused a number of Christians there to be very excited about winning this ruling. But what I was really happy about at CT is that in addition to covering this ruling, we also published a piece by Eugene Yap that was just kind of trying to set the larger context of what's going on, which is always really important, right? Especially for, again, for American Christians, this may be like such a weird story (laughs) to be like, what? You're trying to fight for the state of Allah? Like, I don't understand this. What does it all mean? And this piece was just kind of asking Christians to not in many ways, like be triumphalistic Mm. about this in a way that was going to like further divide the community. Right. And so I I think that's actually really important. You know, we've seen a lot of instances domestically, right, where Christians are trying to settle things with non-Christians through lawsuits. Right. And there have been many times where Christians have won. And when I was reading this piece, I was like, this piece is not just a piece about what's going on in Malaysia, right? This is about when Christians end up feeling like their convictions are affirmed, specifically like in a court situation, you know, how do you go about, how do you proceed from there in a way that like honors the other people that are on the other side, (laughs) which is not something that I think that we're necessarily like great at, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I I mean... this piece was just was just saying about how it, it's going to end up being something that in many ways could cause far more division. Wow. Um, and why there is distrust on wow. both sides and what it would look like for a division to to not do that. So I'm just going to read you a couple lines from this piece because I thought it was really good. And while acknowledging that there are legitimate fears and concerns between Christians and Muslims in this longstanding Allah debate, it is imperative for the Church of Malaysia to move beyond fears to find avenues for the concrete expression of the Christian redemptive story. Wow. To this end, Scripture reminds us to love our neighbors in affirmation and understanding, not simply tolerating wow. them. 
Mutual understanding requires adjustments and therefore moderation in the interest of social harmony. Wow. That's definitely a word for all (laughs) of us, especially for Americans right now, it feels like. But wow, that's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a follow-up question, Morgan. So for our listeners who might be like, why in the world would Malaysian Christians want the right to call God Allah? Give us some context about that. Yeah, so that is a very, <laughs> I have to say, as someone who like runs our social media, there are a lot. I am sure there are. <laughs> um, people are like, what? Why is this going on? Um, so great question. I will say that it's been going on for a very long time, but the controversy is in many ways kind of new. The controversy only started, I would say like, maybe 40 years ago. Um, but as far as like why people have been wanting to um, to use this particular term, I'm trying to like get to, I've been trying to get to the bottom of this in yeah, some yeah. ways. From what I understand, this is just like a cultural okay, practice gotcha. um, that has been going on for a long time. The Muslim community, it, like I said, is pretty significant in Malaysia. It's also pretty significant in Indonesia. Um, and I would imagine that there are probably some like larger historical reasons why this has gotten into it. But I think it is one of those things where they're so accustomed to it and so used to this type of thing happening Mm -hmm. that it it was really took them by a shock. To have that taken away. Yeah, that makes sense. And for that to be made an issue by people that they had been living Mm -hmm. with alongside for for this type of, you know, for for this long. Wow. Fascinating. So, yeah, I guess I would would just say that... um, we had this one line in one of our coverage. Most Christians in Malaysia worship in English, Tamil, or various Chinese dialects and refer to God in those languages. So there are many Christians, it seems like, who do use other things. But some Malay-speaking people on the island of Borneo have no other wow. word for God. But wow. Wow. So that's an actually interesting thing, too, to think about, like, linguistically <laughs> not having another word. You know, that's just kind of how they, right. how their culture right? has made sense right? of who God is. Yeah. 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 So, and the other thing I would just say, yeah, um, it seems like it it is from the Arabic. So I'm assuming it has to do with um, when Islam did get introduced, how it even brought over the idea of God and how that kind of maybe just like in many ways turned into a generic word for God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Morgan, another big story globally uh, within the last month or so was the Pope heading out to Iraq. And I, I remember watching that and go, man, everyone like this is a big deal. But some people might be like, well, I thought the Pope goes everywhere. Why was that trip by the Pope such a big deal? I don't remember it was Iraq or Iran. I don't mm-hmm. remember. For it was sure. in Iraq. Why, Iraq. Why was that such a big deal? So I'm assuming that many of your listeners are familiar with ISIS and just kind of the cruelty and barbaricness that was broadcast all over the world when they went on their campaigns, conquering right. campaigns about five, six years ago. And one of the places that they ended up um, taking over was a city of called Mosul, um, which was a city that at one point, like many parts of Iraq, had a sizable Christian population. Um, but this was a city um, that because of ISIS, many of the Christians fled the city um, and Essentially, very few of them have actually returned ever since Iraq um, drove out ISIS um, a couple of years ago. And so it was really, really beautiful in many ways for the Pope to then go to Iraq, to go to Mosul in particular. And then he said to, he actually had some like kind of hard words for them. And, the, and when I say hard words, I mean hard to mm-hmm. live out words where he actually encouraged them to forgive 
the people wow. that had wronged them. Um, and by <laughs> wronged them, I mean, I feel like that is like kind of an understatement. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like um, there were beheadings, Ugh. there were mass mm. killings. I'm not exactly sure how many Iraqi Christians were subject to this, but for like, if people are familiar with the Yazidis, um, many of them ended up as like sexual slaves um, for many of the women that were Mm. there. And of course, you know, just thinking about a city, a big city, a significant city in Iraq that used to have a very sizable Christian minority, a group that was like flourishing. It was the second largest city in Iraq. And then to just have thousands and thousands of people mm. leave. And so we had published a piece on this where, you know, we talked to like local pastors and so forth. And, you know, many of them, their churches, if they remain, you know, have what, 20% of the population that they had before. And many people just don't know if it's possible to rebuild their lives there. So I think it just like really meant yeah. a lot for people to see the Pope there. And then it really was powerful to see the Pope asking you know them to say we need wow. to forgive what's going on which is not again not wow. an easy thing not at all this has been really enjoyable morgan lee is christianity today's global media manager also the co-host of the quick to listen podcast we'd encourage you to go uh subscribe to that wherever it is you get your podcast morgan thanks yeah, for thank taking you, the time morgan. from all the surfing all the surfing what a delight guys <laughs> thank you oh. Brian Aubrey. it was absolutely mm-hmm. our pleasure you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, we're going to try a new game here in a second. I'm not I'm excited sure. about this. I'm not sure it's going to work, but I'm going to I'm going to make my best run at it. It's, I, I'm I'm calling this. We're kind of spitballing here. I'm calling okay. this. Am I a jerk or or am I justified? And, and is this like a... This is like, is Brian an old man kind of game? Oh, that might be another game we're going to play. <laughs> <laughs> old man or youthful. Yes. That's the spinoff. Okay. Okay. Exactly. Jerk or justified. I can't wait till we do that in a few minutes. Jerk or justified. That's going to be the, mo- uh, that's what we're going to do. But hey, I want to ask you first, saw a trailer for a movie called The Girl Who Believes in Miracles uh, that we were just excited to talk about just for a couple minutes here. Did you see that trailer? I actually just saw the trailer and I think it looks so sweet. It's like a family friendly movie and a faith friendly movie. And, um, do you know Mira Sorvino? She's this incredible actress. She, I think she's an Oscar nominee or an Oscar winner. She's in it. Lauren Daigle does some of the soundtrack for it. So I think it looks sweet. Oh man, that part of the trailer where the little girl picks up the dead bird and then prays and the, and the bird. So and basically the bird comes to life. Yeah. And so basically the premise is she heals a bird mysteriously. And then suddenly like this little girl it, through prayer and, and just kind of whatever God's doing in her life is curing all sorts of people. And it's like doctors and other people wrestling what's going on. It's kind of a story about miracles and trusting God. I, I don't know. It looks there's so much sketchy stuff out there. I got kids yes. trying to figure out. I'm going to check this movie out. How about I was you? thinking that. And especially now, again, now that some of us are vaccinated, we can go to the movie oh theater gosh, and yeah. take our family and have popcorn. And I think it's going to be a really family friendly, sweet show about miracles and God's word and navigating faith along with fame. I think, too, it's going to be interesting. Yep. So you can find out more. You might be like, hey, what are you talking about? The girl who believes in miracles dot com. The girl who believes in miracles.com. You can find out all sorts of 
uh, information, probably watch the trailer and all that kind of stuff. Oh, man, you just said going to a movie. Doesn't that sound so nice? <gasps> I have missed the movies more than most anything. Besides church, I have missed the movies. And uh, April 15th, our local movie theater opens and Kevin and I are going to be there. I cannot wait. Did you feel like you had to say be, uh, besides church? Other than church, like did oh. you feel like that was like, like that, like that, yeah, was, like had that to what the, <laughs> <laughs> like what, what the pastor in me should say. I, no, I mean it. I especially after Easter, I miss church, Brian. I'm don't be so cynical. I, I miss too. church. I did too. But it was funny. Like I miss movies so, besides church. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe it was a little bit of like evangelical pressure I put on myself yeah, to say great. that, but it's true. But I do miss movies, Kevin. I used to go to a movie every week for a date night. We'd go dinner and movie. And again, it's been over a year. So I am excited to get back to the movies. Hold on. Did you just say every week dinner and a movie? Yeah. Yeah. Every week dinner, movie, date night. Good. And always yeah. a movie. Good for you. You guys probably saw more movies in a month than my wife and I have seen. We in the saw last a years. lot of a lot of movies. You know, I love movies. Kevin's not a massive movie buff, but he'll go with me because he loves me. Yeah, that makes sense. You were in like the theater at Wheaton, so I yeah, it's, yeah. It's I like I like the arts together. in general, right? It's all coming together. All right, here's the new game. Am I a jerk or was I justified? <laughs> Let me tell you a story. Okay, I'm listening, and uh, and I want you to declare. Okay, what well, you need to decide: jerk or justified? And then B, I want to know what you would have done. So uh, okay. we'll see if that plays in. It's time for another round of your favorite game. Am I a jerk or am I justified? The other day, uh, probably a week or two ago, maybe two or three weeks ago, uh, my family were all at home in the living room. I got two dogs, too. So all five of us and the dogs are in the living room. It's Saturday afternoon. The doorbell rings. Okay. My dogs go crazy. They start barking. uh, And we look out the window and I make eye contact with the guy at the door. It's clearly a political candidate. Uh-oh. Who wants to come talk about he's running for local office, right? So he's going door to door in the neighborhood and uh, he's he's wanting to talk about he wants to make sure you vote, that you meet him. But, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon. We're in the midst of a pandemic, all this kind of stuff. Uh, so the doorbell rings. I know that he knows we're inside the living room. Right. Uh, dogs are barking this and that, uh, but never went never opened the door. You know he's there. You can see him out the window or whatever. Uh huh. And he probably has seen you, or at least knows people are there. And you just didn't go to the door at all. Yes. <laughs> so the question for you, Aubrey: Are you a jerk or are you justified? Yeah. Well, okay. Let me ask some follow up questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, was he wearing a mask? Uh, I think so. I think so, or else he was going to stay. He was standing further back. I think there was at least going to be distance or a mask. Uh, some social distance. Okay. Are you active politically in your community? I voted yesterday. I did. Okay. Okay. Did. Yes. Okay. Um. So all things considered, I actually have also many times had the doorbell ring because a solicitor or whatever's there, and I have not answered it because you know what I think? I think you're not a jerk. I think you're justified. It's your house. Okay. You don't have. You don't have to answer the door on a Saturday if someone shows up without letting you know they're showing up. And especially during COVID, I think that's I think that's a bad move on that guy's part. 
Okay. So I, I'm going to go with Justified. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm, I'm going Justified. I often like you, you ring my doorbell when I'm, I, I love people from afar. You know what I mean? So like, I love people, but not in real life. So you come to my house and I don't know you're coming. I'm not super excited about that. Mm, that's interesting. You and my wife. I don't know. You and my wife are really going to get along. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be bold enough. Not, although I have not answered the door before, but it's usually because I'm hiding and they don't know I'm there. I don't know if I would be bold enough to do it when I know they know. <laughs> we may have taught our kids at one point if the doorbell rings, dive to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's just safety. You're just being safe right there. All right. A second one since we have time. I'm glad. I thought I was going to lose out on that one. I no, was no, no, predicting. No, no, I'm with you on that. All right. I think I, I think you're I, I feel safe about this next one. But let me do okay. this. Okay. Uh, at the studio the other day. And I will tell you, pre-COVID, I actually raged about this in the other direction. But at the studio the other day, you've got to take an elevator, as you know, up to the fourth floor. Uh, yep. In the midst of COVID, you're allowed. They ask you to keep it to two people on the elevator. Yeah. Uh, do I push the button? Doors open. I get in. I can see about twenty feet away. Someone else is walking towards the elevator. Okay. Uh, but I chose not to hold the door open for them. I felt <laughs> uncomfortable having somebody else that I didn't know. Uh, yes. Even though they're wearing a mask and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you before COVID, I got mad that somebody did that to me, but it felt like COVID time. I was justified. Am I correct? Am I a jerk or am I justified to cause that person to have to wait again for another elevator to come? So did you, you pushed it closed or you didn't hold it open? Cause I, I feel like one's active and one's a little passive. I didn't hold it open. So there was enough time for me just to let the door close. So yes, I did not push it closed. Yeah. So potentially this guy or gal could have really made a run for it, stuck their hand in, jumped in the elevator and at that point you know what's done is done so you weren't actively closing the door on them right i did not no no i just let it close i just let it close and in my mind it was like i'm not ready to be in an elevator with a person i don't know <laughs> isn't covid funny like the things that we're thinking about now <laughs> that we weren't thinking about a year ago i okay okay brian i you're gonna be surprised i think you're justified i actually also got on an elevator at the studio the other day and someone was coming and I didn't close the door, but there were two people in there. And I thought, what am I going to do if this person gets on? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I just, my plan was just to move back, you know, okay. and just make room for three. So I wasn't quite as proactive as you in, you know, like letting the door close, but they didn't get on. They were thoughtful. So I think again, justified because of COVID outside of COVID, you're kind of a jerk. Good. I'm good with that. And I know that outside of COVID, I, I'm the first one to hold the elevator door open. I have found myself like that or like not wanting to hold the door for people and have that close contact. Like, right, right. I feel like COVID has called, caused all manners to go out the window. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so true, though. It's so bizarre. Even people at like I've been in places where someone has asked to borrow something. I can't think of a great example right now. But even that, I'm like, oh, oh, can't get. Can I hand this item to you, or I'm going to set it somewhere and you're going to pick it up? I mean, it's just very we're we're all weird now. That's so true. All right, I got two justified. Two justified. You're not a jerk. We might bring this game back. Oh, I'll I'll prove you otherwise here in the coming <laughs> weeks. But maybe we'll bring that one back. We're going to call what that. Are we're one. 
both jerks. I mean, that could be the other thing, that right, Brian? That could, people, <laughs> people at home right now are like, no, jerk. You're both jerks. <laughs> you're both total jerks. You're both jerks. All right. So we're going to bring that one back another time. We'll see. Am okay. I a jerk or am I justified? Well, first hour in the books. If you've missed any of it, go get the podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast. Uh, coming up next, I want to talk about something uh, from history that had an anniversary yesterday, that being the tragic uh, Rwandan genocide of 1994, and just share some thoughts and why I want to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about an important anniversary of the Rwandan genocide. And then we're joined by Raymond Chang, president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative and campus minister at Wheaton College. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Yesterday was day one for Aubrey and I, and uh, today is day two, and away we go. So really thrilled for this kind of new season of the show. And uh, hey, our my old co-host Ian Simpkins listened, right? He was texting with us today. So he was he was proud of us. We got his stamp of approval. We got his thumbs up. I think he might be a little jealous. I think he might miss us. I, th- I think you are correct. We'll have to, I think we'll he kind of wishes he was here. We'll have to have him. We'll have to have him. Yeah, we should. Yeah, he could be a he could be a guest now that he's a pastor at a big church down he south. Be a guest. We'll ask him all the hard questions. Like that's right. There you go. So uh, I want to make a hard right turn here and talk about you know my church at Four Corners Community Church since we started it. 11 years ago, really near the beginning, uh, we started working uh, with an organization called Africa New Life, which is based out of Rwanda. And it really Mm. was birthed out of the Rwandan genocide. And I was reading yesterday and reminded that the Rwandan genocide happened uh, yesterday was the anniversary in 1994 of the beginning of the Rwandan genocide. And and if you want, uh, you were telling me off air, right? Reminding us, oh, you can watch the movie Hotel Rwanda. Like that gives you some great background to it or just go yeah. Google it. The numbers are unbelievable. Uh, it's really horrific. Over 800,000 people, mostly of the Tutsi minority, were murdered in the span mm. of a month, in just a wow. month. Wow. Uh, and so just think about that. 75% of that minority group were killed in that one month. Wow. Uh, and so uh, it, it's just really unbelievable. I've had the uh, the privilege of going to Rwanda through oh, this wow, group, Brian. Uh, and seeing the museums that are set up to it, the memorials. Mm. And so I thought with yesterday being the anniversary, uh, here's what I want to ask a couple different. I want to go a couple different angles. And one is, why is it important? Even when we think about a nation so far away, so different from ours, I do think it's important. Uh, to take time to think about, like, how did this happen, right? Yeah, like, why yeah. did this happen? Do you think even though it's not here, it's on the other side of the globe, that this is an important thing for us even 27 years later to to remember and consider? I mean, I, th- I think especially as Christians, it is important for us to be so mindful of global history, especially when it comes to um, any type of genocide or dehumanization of people groups so that we can be mindful of how God would have done it differently and how the people of God should have shown up so that we can do better next time. I mean, you know, thinking about that, the fact that it's been 27 years, I know I was young 
but I was still oblivious yes. to the fact that there was so much suffering on the other side of the world. And that is devastating to me. I mean, I just think about the great lamenters throughout scripture that lamented the devastation they were seeing. And as Christian people, and I'm sure many Christian people who were of age were watching and were lamenting, but uh, we should have been more aware and should have stepped in and should have done what we could to plead God for for change in in that situation. Um, I'm fascinated that you were there, Brian. What must that have been like for you? You know, it was it was life altering, to be honest with you. Yeah. And uh, that's the only time I've ever been to Africa. And I'm actually hoping to go back uh, through Africa New Life. It's just a fabulous organization. But uh, they're doing a lot. They're at kind of the leading edge of having helped Rwanda rebuild. Uh, wow. I actually, while I was there, just to see everything, but also me and another pastor got to do a pastor's conference while we were there tra- training people. It was unbelievable. Like you're sitting wow. there going, A, why am I able to do this? And B, man, this is like, like this is this is crazy. Like these are people who lost loved ones and lost mm. this. I do think one of the great... um Oh, cautions of the Rwandan genocide is much of it uh, through propaganda and other things was driven through churches. Uh, and, oh, wow. Uh, wow. That that now even they're just kind of getting past some of the suspicions of churches. There was a re- weird element of government and churches uh, mm. and tribalism. Uh, and I don't think... Uh, Call me naive. I don't think something like this could ever happen here, but you also see seeds of it here. Like <laughs> that's what I was just thinking. Even using that language, yes. like tribalism and the government and the churches, go, you know, there there are seeds of it. You're right. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's what makes for a good learning curve. But I do want to end this in a positive way and say, this. I would really encourage people if you're if you're uneducated about the Rwandan genocide, Google it. You'll you'll be reading for you'll go down that rabbit hole for a long time. Yeah, and just read yeah. it. It's really helpful. Uh, But one of the amazing things that's happened in Rwanda through things like Africa New Life and other organizations is not only is the economy booming, they now have one of the big, the most robust economies in all of Africa. Wow. Coming out of that. But the church, uh, particularly the Christian church, is booming right now in Rwanda. And so I I do want to go. You've been in the mission field, you said, and Mm -hmm. we'll talk much more about that at some point. Uh, But. Let's make some pastoral connections that there there is not been 27 years ago. What happened in Rwanda is about as bad as you could paint a picture right, anywhere right, ever. Right. Uh, but now that the now uh, we're seeing uh, God do amazing things like it's like new plants coming out of what was scarred. What, what does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about the church? I mean, I'm just thinking about Isaiah talking about like blossoms in the wilderness, right? Like it, it just seems like it's a picture of what God does in suffering at the, at the, the most horrific things a community of people can experience. The yep. fact that out of that comes new life, out of that comes goodness, out of that comes like the church booming. That is who God has always been yes. and what God has always done. That is always how God has worked. And it doesn't, of course, take away the pain. It doesn't justify the evil, but mm-hmm. you just see that God is victorious. Yes. God is bigger than evil and God makes a way where there is no way. And it, that's powerful. I mean, it's what a what a powerful image of who God is and what God can do in devastation. Yeah. And, and we think about it here nationally with the country of Rwanda. Uh, but you've written a book on lament called The Louder mm-hmm. Song. Uh, mm-hmm. There's probably people out there individually who are going, man, my life is in ruins. 
it yeah. might be self-inflicted. It might be completely outside of their control. It could be any way, any way. And they are like, is this the way it's always going to be? Can God do anything in my life? I'd love for you to just take a minute because, like I said, you wrote a book about lament. Yeah. Uh, just paint that picture of hope for people who are right now are like, hey, that's great that God did that in Rwanda, but I'm not sure he could do that in my life. Yeah. I mean, I would say if a couple of things, if you're walking through a, a season like that, and I have been there, I know what it's like to feel like the ground underneath you is so steady and you're questioning, is God even real? You know, can, if can God show up? And if he is going to show up, I, I don't know if I actually want him to because life is going so bad. I would say pour out your heart to God as honestly as you can begin to just say, God, I, I don't know how to process this. I don't know how to make it through, but I need you to show up. And just wait for God to show up. And I'm mm. telling you, He will. The best thing you can do in seasons of doubt and desperation is not run away, not go numb, but lean in as hard as you ever can. And just God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And then wait and watch as God shows up. And He will. And the second thing I would say is this. There's this. Um, there's a plant that I just learned about, a flower actually called an avalanche lily. And it only grows in places where volcanoes have been. So it grows out of the lava. It grows out of the ash. Wow. And that to me is a, a beautiful picture of what God does in our lives in this suffering and hardship in what feels dead. Life is there and God is at work making all things new. So don't give up. Don't be discouraged. He is at work. Really good word right there. And, and you know, we can even learn these from what God is doing on a nation level, on a national level. Uh, but uh, when it comes to us as individuals, that's just a uh, a really good word. Well, coming up next, Raymond Chang, president and co-founder of the Asian American Christian Collaborative and a campus minister at Wheaton College. Raymond's going to join us for the next two segments here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Thrilled to have you with us today. Uh, and we are really excited to be joined for the next two segments uh, by the president and co-founder of the Asian American Christian Collaborative and also a campus minister at Wheaton College. Uh, that's Raymond Chang. Ray, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. I'm doing good, and it's great to join a, a, a couple of fellow <laughs> That's right. Uh, that we are we are taking over the world, man. <laughs> uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Ray. Before we jump into all that you've got going on, we're we're real excited to have you on. Before we jump in, could you just introduce yourself, however you'd like, to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, my name is Raymond Chang. As it was mentioned, I go by Ray or Raymond. Uh, I serve as a campus minister at Wheaton College, but also lead an organization called the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Um, I, seventh and eighth generation Korean American. Christian. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So, yeah. Met long heritage of mm. faith in my family. Um, in fact, it's uh, really rare to, to see uh, Korean Americans or Koreans to have uh, such a, such a long wow. legacy uh, and uh, done work in the for-profit, the nonprofit worlds uh, prior to entering into ministry and, uh, just really glad to be with all of you today. We are so excited to have you, Raymond. I have been fascinated watching all that the Asian American Christian Collaborative is doing right now. You just had a gathering in Chicago earlier this week, and it just seems like you're putting incredible work into the world. Tell us why you began the AACC and what you're passionate about right now. 
Yeah. So I think for years, people have been asking uh, questions and having uh, kind of concerns that Asian American Christians or Asian Americans broadly, but more specifically, the Asian American Christian voice wasn't being represented either in the church or in the broader society. And for years, people have been asking me if people, if I, if I would be interested in starting something for Asian American Christians. And I, one of the things I said was that it's really hard to get people broadly to care about Asian American issues, uh, mm-hmm. let alone Asian American kind of experiences, including Asian Americans. And so um, I've kind of kicked the can down the road until about last year where we uh, started seeing the uprise of uh hate and mm-hmm. violence against Asian Americans that were generated by uh, the rhetoric of some of our most powerful yeah. leaders, uh, calling it the China virus yeah. or the Kung flu or the Chinese virus. And we knew that, um, that we were about to enter into a season of deep pain, deep harm, and, and, and even violence against our communities. Um, and so we, we wrote a statement on uh, anti-Asian racism in the time of COVID-19 in order to help churches and uh, pastors and leaders and friends of the Asian American Christian community and the Asian American community broadly to, to understand how to talk about the issues that we were seeing. Um, Cause at that point there were about a thousand cases that were reported uh, to stop AAPI hate, uh, which included, you know, a, a Myanmar family, mm. so a family from Myanmar wow. who had two children uh, walking outside of a store, someone, yelled at them and then attacked them for being Ugh. Chinese and then stabbed the kids uh, who are both five and two. Mm-hmm. We've seen stories of uh, women who are walking out of their homes to take out their trash, get acid thrown on mm-hmm. them. Um, wow. We've seen the elderly get drop kicked, mm-hmm. um, shoved and pushed. People get yelled at. I got yelled at. Someone drove by my house as I was just sitting outside reading and, uh, and, and yelled, you yellow piece of expletive. Mm-hmm. And then as the pandemic continued, we, we of course, saw the deaths of yeah. five people. Yeah. Um, and and then, of course, the Atlanta massacres or the Atlanta yeah. shootings. And so we wanted to respond early on to try to prevent some of the violence, hoping that the church would actually use our statement and use the resources that we are providing to to um, to disciple their congregants and to uh, to to preach from the pulpit about these issues, hoping that at least if the conversation started in the congregations, that yeah. others would be able to uh, kind of spread that word. And then, you know, obviously we uh, have kind of hosted a prayer march from a historic Chinese American church in the Chinatown area, Chinese Christian Union Church of Chicago. It's over a hundred years old to Progressive Baptist Church, where a friend of mine named Charlie Dates is a pastor, a hundred plus year old church. And we had about a thousand to two thousand people show up, uh, representing over a hundred churches uh, in you know in the wake of the George Floyd um, uh, mm. killings. And so, uh, and then of course, uh, in light of what we saw in Atlanta, uh, we released a statement um, on the Atlanta massacre, and then worked with local partners, churches, and and, and Christian leaders throughout the country, uh, starting in Atlanta to organize a simultaneous rally all throughout the country. And so we had 14 different cities all uh, participating in prayer rallies, prayer marches at the same time uh, throughout the country on March 28th of 2021. And then, as you mentioned, uh, we uh, hosted an event at Apostolic Faith Church where Charlie Dates was there. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) 
Smith, uh, Otis Moss III, and then uh, Greg Lee, who also works at Wheaton, uh, Jay Katanis, who's one of the co-founders of AACC, and then uh, Juliet Liu, who serves on the board of Missio Alliance, as, as well as serving as a pastor in um, uh, on life with with life on the vine, and then a student from Wheaton named Sarah Lamb, uh, and then some poets and and others have have been able to share. That's great, right? I'm wondering, are you starting to feel like there's traction in churches, especially uh, non Asian American churches, like seeing what's going on in the Asian American community as a problem, or is that a frustration of yours that you're not really seeing uh, people who aren't Asian American even really either taking this seriously or acknowledging it? What's it What's it like out there right now? A little bit of both, right? And so after the Atlanta massacre, um, several people said, I kind of released a tweet and said, hey, how many of your churches kind of spoke on this issue? And less than half of the people uh, said that their churches did, and it was painful for them, and Mm. it was hard for them. um, Because, you know, like, the things that affect one member of the body affects all members of the body. And what hurts one person should really be addressed, especially if it's happening at a kind of like a broader systemic scale. And what we saw with the Atlanta shootings was that, or the Atlanta area shootings, if I'm being more specific and precise, was that it unlocked a long history of kind of collective pain, Mm -hmm. collective sorrow that existed within the Asian American community to the point where uh, my wife, Jessica, uh, Jessica Chang, uh, who works at a, a school called the field school in, uh, in the Austin, in Oak park. And they're moving to the Austin neighborhood, uh, which is a classical diverse Christian uh, kind of K through seven school uh, as their chief advancement officer. She said that this is the first time she feels like Asian Americans have felt like they were allowed to be mm. sad and to be. Wow. And I can attest to this because all my students I mean, like I've never seen my students, my Asian American students, this disoriented, this disheveled, and reeling in this mm-hmm. way. And even as I was walking with a with a with a female student yesterday, um, she was like, "It was really painful and hurtful that none of my roommates even asked yeah. how I was doing." Mm-hmm. And they're people that care about me. And what I realized is that people just have been able to go through life not caring about Asian mm-hmm. Americans. Asian American issues, and it's affected so many people deeply. Absolutely. Raymond Chang is the president and co-founder of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Also the campus, a campus minister at Wheaton College. You can follow him on Twitter at Tweet Ray Chang. That's at Tweet Ray Chang and Instagram at Ray Chang 502. Well, Ray, thanks so much for staying with us. You wrote an opinion piece at Religion News a couple weeks ago. Uh, And it says the headlines, this the Atlanta massacre is yet another reminder that we desperately need race conscious discipleship. I'd love to hone in on that phrase. Could you describe what race conscious discipleship is, what it looks like in the church and how it might be different than what we're used to? Yeah, no, thank you for that question, Brian. I, in, in a nutshell, it's, it's a discipleship that's not neglecting the realities and the impact and the pervasive kind of um, uh, effects of race, racialization and racism within our society. Mm. Like what most people don't want to kind of contend with is that racialization has been baked, uh, that, that, that our society has been racialized from before its inception right. and the truth is never fully interrogated, excavated and unpacked the problems that the racial framework has cultivated. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, like if you if you think about the ways that race has uh, negatively impacted us, it's segregated us by creating a case system, mm-hmm. uh, with Bella Wilkerson talks about, and has essentially said that some are better and others are lesser yeah. because of certain features, uh, which were originally tied to kind of phenotype and and physical uh, physical features. That's now changed to kind of. Um, uh, to some levels of ideology uh, and a maintenance of a status quo, which continues to marginalize some people and include other people and uplift yeah. other people. And as long as we don't actually contend with the impact of race, racism and racialization in our society, the pro- the problems that we've seen are going to perpetuate. And here's what I mean. Um, what most people don't know is that the church was overlaid on top of a racialized landscape. Mm. And we know that because the church in the time of Martin Luther King Jr. was known to be uh, the most, was known to contribute to the most segregated hour in the country, right? I think he said that the 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated hour in Christian America or something like that. What we're finding today, thanks to um, uh, the research of Christians like uh, Michael Emerson, who's a sociologist at University of Illinois, Chicago, is that the average church in the United States is still more segregated than the average neighborhood that they're Hmm. in. Wow. So the church is not actually a unifying force that helps Mm -hmm. people break through the barriers, that helps people reconcile through the differences. It's actually much more of a segregating force. We need to repent of that. Yeah, yeah. Like we need to be actively working against that because there are a lot of factors that play into that. And the problem is we've been so famished around issues of race that the secular society has provided a lot of language and scholarship and, and, and thoughts about how to both articulate the problem as well as their understanding of how to solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And the church has not even been able to articulate the problem in any meaningful yeah. way. And then, Believe that the way to solve it is by pretending like it mm-hmm. doesn't exist, as if you treat a cancer without spe- treating it as a specific mm-hmm. entity, mm-hmm. right? And so, when it comes to race-conscious discipleship, we just have to understand the ways that race, racialization, and racism have been baked into kind of our imaginations as a whole, and have shaped the ways in which we follow yeah. Jesus, sometimes to the detriment of our own faith and to the detriment of Christian unity. Yeah. Raymond, um, my husband, Kevin, and I lead a multi-ethnic church in West Chicago. And so we're having these conversations quite often. And I will say what you've experienced more than I have experienced, I'm sure, is how much pushback white Christians especially give when you make a statement like that, that um, this racism has been a part of really the detriment of the church. And we have not acknowledged it well. We have not repented. We have not lamented. We have not really even owned that it's true. And I I know you're doing a really good work of loving people and discipling students at Wheaton and leading the AACC. I wonder how you stay engaged and how you stay encouraged in the middle of a conversation that's really hard when I imagine you're getting quite a bit of pushback. How do you keep going? I mean, I think I keep going because the more I look at the scriptures, the more I see that God is calling us to never compromise the Mm. truth, to always love our enemies and our friends and our neighbors and our, you know, just all of humanity. 
and to to journey with people in uh, helping them to see the the love of Christ in all ways. Uh, and so when I look at the Psalms and I see that you know, righteousness and justice are part of the kingdom, and I look at Micah and how he calls us to love justice and to do uh, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. It's this understanding that, you know, that, that justice is an essential part of the Christian yeah. faith. Sadly, most people have separated justice from righteousness, which are actually share the same kind of root word uh, in, in Hebrew and per- call people to pursue righteousness without pursuing justice. And so I think a lot of what I see in the scriptures keep motivating me. And I think it's really through the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to do the work that I'm doing. Yeah. I'm also deeply encouraged by people that are in costly ways calling their own communities to uh, to a type of racial righteousness, mm-hmm. to a type of Christian righteousness. And um, and it usually means that your churches are smaller. You know, it usually means that people will yep. leave your church because <laughs> they uh, refuse to, um, you know, like decouple themselves from partisan idolatry, mm-hmm. from uh, kind of like a, a, a deep-rooted white racial identity that doesn't necessarily understand the impact of race and how it's actually forced white people to even lose their ethnic identities, which is why they categorize as white instead of German or French or, you know, or, 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 you know, Spanish or whatever, Italian or whatever it is. Um, And how much loss that has come as a result of that. And so, so that there's, there's, there's deep encouragement in, in partners that have kind of, joined the work uh, and have kind of pursued a costly uh, ministry themselves. And then of course there are other Christians of color that are, are speaking up in bold ways. I think that many Asian Americans have uh, kind of been awakened over the course of the the pandemic uh, when they were normally comfortable with being silent and just kind of tolerated uh, the, the prejudice, the discrimination and the racism that they've experienced because it meant that they were still a part of kind of the, the group or, you know, at least they were still like accepted to, to some degree. Uh, they're finding that no matter how much they raise their children to be quote unquote American, that they're still going to be perceived as a perpetual mm-hmm. outsider, that they're going to at some point be treated as a second class citizen. And here's a perfect example of this. I, a few months ago, I was at church um, and uh, someone wanted to introduce me to their grandparent uh, who uh, survived and lived through the Japanese in- in- oh, incarceration wow. after, World War II. And he said that as a child, he was so thoroughly American, having been here for three or four generations, his family having been here for three or four generations. So think about that. He doesn't, he's known America for generations more than he's ever known Japan. His mm-hmm. parents have never really known Japan. His grandparents wow. have never really known Japan. And as, as he heard news about the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor, which if you actually look at the history was a response to kind of colonial powers and militarism that were kind of entering into Asia. And Japan was basically trying to say, leave Asia to ourselves, like, you know, focus on your own kind of Mm -hmm. countries. Uh, Let us kind of be, uh, you know, let us have like sovereignty and and, and Mm -hmm. autonomy. Um, one of the things that we found was one of the things that he found was that he was pretending to shoot down Japanese planes and pretending to be John. Wow. Think about what that does to some, what that means, right? He thought of himself as John Wayne shooting down Japanese Mm. planes of whom he shared similar kind of ancestry and, uh, and heritage. 
The next thing he knows, he and his family are off to an incarceration mm. camp along with many others. It didn't matter if he was uh, patriotic. It didn't matter how loyal he was. It didn't matter how Christian he was. The country decided that he was a threat simply because of his heritage and there was nothing he could wow. do about it. Mm. And as a kid, he remembered thinking, wow, this is what the country thinks mm. of me. This is what people mm. think of me. It doesn't matter how much I try to become like the next white person or the next X, Y, and Z or the next American. My American expression as a Japanese American or as an Asian American is not one that is fully accepted or embraced wow. here. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Ray Chang, president and co-founder of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, Collaborative, and also a campus minister at Wheaton College. Find him on Twitter at Tweet Ray Chang. That's Tweet Ray Chang. And on Instagram at Ray Chang 502. Ray, we are so thankful for you, man. The work you're doing at our alma mater, Wheaton mm -hmm. College, and all that you're doing. We look forward. Hopefully, we'll get to meet you in person soon. Have you back on. Thanks for doing this, friend. Uh, thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Thrilled to have you with us today. Aubrey, one of the things we've been doing is trying to end the shows with some inspiration, some challenge, just something to send us off on our day. And I saw this uh, This is uh, this clip will start going viral, right, on Twitter, Facebook, other maybe Instagram. That's where you youthful people are over there. <laughs> That's right. We're over there on the on the gram. On the gram. See, even when you say the gram, it sounds good. When I say it, I just sound old. I'm like over there on the gram. <laughs> you know, somehow it's always a southern accent when you say that, right? So right, right. The gram. Uh, it's a Shaquille O'Neal. So Shaquille O'Neal, uh, he's now a studio host for Inside the NBA, but Sha Shaquille O'Neal most well known for being one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Right. Also made a lot of money and he, he makes a lot of money through endorsements and this and that. Well, recently the clip that started going viral was that Shaquille O'Neal, uh, was in a jewelry store, a Zales, which made me laugh. Shaquille O'Neal in a Zales. I can't imagine a, him in a Zales. At right. a mall. Is he at the mall? Yep. He was literally at the mall, <laughs> right? Shaquille O'Neal at the mall. All right. And so what he did was he noticed at the register that there was a young guy uh, trying to pay off the engagement ring that he had put on layaway. So this guy had been saving money. Aww. It was on layaway and he was coming in and basically making payments. Uh, and Shaquille O'Neal went up and just put down his credit card. He's like, there you go. And the guy tried Come to on. say no. No, and the guy tried to say no. And Shaq basically says, I do this for people and kind of insisted and paid off this guy's engagement ring and was basically like, there you go. That is awesome. Out there, the cynical people out there will be like, oh, what is that to Shaquille O'Neal? Here's what it was. Something he didn't have to do. And so I, I want you to hear this clip. It's like two minutes long of Shaq talking about it. And ironically, he was kind of uncomfortable talking about it. Uh, but he was talking about it on the Inside the NBA studio show. And then I want to close by us talking about it a little bit. Here it is, Shaquille O'Neal. Look at this. Shaq randomly <laughs> played for a young man's engagement ring? You know, you know what happened yesterday? When did this happen? This happened yesterday. So I was in looking, I was in Zales looking for some whip earrings. And I seen the guy. Harlan. With the blue shirt on? <laughs> yeah. You went to the mall and went to Zales? Wait, what? <laughs> you you want me to go to Piedmont Park? You're going to Zales? First of all, I have uh, I have a jewelry line at Zales, first of all. Oh, okay. Ooh, my bad. What I kind of jewelry? Well, yeah, everything. So anyway, I went in there to get some loop earrings. And I seen the guy come in. He was just so shy. 
he was saying, hey, how much do I owe to pay off my ring? It was just, and I was like, my man, I'm, I'm, how much is the ring? And I'm not going to say the amount, but yeah. it's not enough to me. But I just, you know, and this is something that I do every day. The other day, me and my mom went furniture shopping. And this lady, uh, she had a autistic daughter. Mm. And, you know, she was also, you know, looking to pay for some furniture. And I just, I just took care of it. So I'm into, I'm into making people happy. So whenever I leave the house, I just try to do a, a good deed. Like, I didn't mean, mean, mean for that to get out because I don't do it for that, but, like, the guy just came in, and, you know, he's a hard, young kid. He's a hard-working guy. He's like, hey, man, I can come back next month and the next, like, lay away. Like, he's, yeah, yeah. You know, he puts the money down, but I was like, you know what? Tell your girlfriend I got to take care of it. At first, he didn't want to take it. He's like, man, I can't do that. I said, don't worry about it. I do it all the time. So mm. I'm just trying to make people smile. That's all. All right, Aubrey. I watched that story, and I was like, we need to talk about it because – here was what it is. In many ways, that's the gospel call, right? That's right. Go that's love the other people. good right there. Do what you can do. So when you heard that story, before I was telling you about it, you hadn't heard that story. But uh-uh, I that hadn't. You know, now that you know the story, what, what's it make you think? What's kind of our takeaway from it? You know what I love about it, first of all, is that I bet, well, I know because he said he does it. Shaq does this all over the place and it doesn't get covered, right? right. And so that to me is really cool that he's not letting the whole world know every time he does something special, but like humbly and generously, he's giving what he has. And I think that's the gospel example. We may not all have the money he has because, right. you know, we're not all professional sports players or commentators or whatever, but we all have generous gifts that God has given us. And so the question is, how can we just generously, lovingly, uh, lavishly pour out of what God has generously and lavishly given us? It's a cool example. Don't you wish you could do that for somebody? I, I really do. And, and, but that's the struggle for me is sometimes I go, man, if I could do that, mm. then I would. But you make a great point. We all have the ability to live generously. It right. might not be financially generous, right? Like I might be the one who needs people's financial generosity, but I can be generous in other ways. Sometimes all it really takes is creativity and, mm-hmm. and the effort. And I could be a little too self-centered to worry about it. Like, right? Shaquille O'Neal, again, walking into his sales, didn't, again, you could, he's got all the money in the world. He didn't have to go do that, but he changed that guy's life yeah. by doing that. And, so- and even that, I mean, the pathway he took, right? Like he doesn't even have to be in Zales. Likely he doesn't shop at Zales. So That's how can right. we be mindful to go out of our ways, even to places we might not go to bless people? Yeah. And so I do think that's the takeaway. I think that's the one I want us to leave with today. What are ways that we can intentionally love our neighbor or love our coworker mm. or, or what are what are creative, um, sacrificial things that we can do? You might have the money resources to do it, uh, but do you have the the energy to do it? Do you have the desire? And here's where I would close. Uh, that's a good pastor thing to say. Here's where I would close. I love it. Right? Preach, where, preach, Brian. Where we would close is that this becomes an outflow of an understanding of what Jesus has done in our own lives. It's Amen. When we have the joy and the, and the sense that, oh my gosh, I've been given more than anything I could ever imagine, uh, then it's kind of a go and do likewise. Go and do that for other people. And so uh, that's how I wanted to leave us. Uh, today. If you missed any of the shows, some great interviews, go back to the podcast, wherever it is, get your podcast. And Aubrey, I'd encourage you and your husband to show this kind of generosity when you go out to dinner with me and my wife tonight. <laughs> I had a feeling, I had a feeling that was going to come up. That was going to come come uh, back to bite me. So we'll see. We'll see who, who gets out their penguin hands to reach for the bill tonight. Just so you know, I am king of like, I need to run to the bathroom real fast. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll let our spouses figure it out. Let's let's make it really awkward for them, and then we'll report back what happened. That's the goal. That's the goal. If you want to hear that, join us tomorrow from four until six. Until then, we hope that you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. <laughs> 